This is Genre Talk. This is Genre Talk. This is Genre Talk. Genre Talk with special guest Jonathan Mayberry. One of the things that, that really pleased me as I was reading the stories is nobody tried to write the way I write a Joe Ledger story. They wrote Joe Ledger stories the way they want to write a Joe Ledger story. And that's that's exactly as it should be. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Thomas Schmidt and Peter J. West. Hello, listeners. Hello, Peter. Time for another show. Super excited. How you doing this week, I'm Brian? Doing good. Doing good. I'm, I'm in the middle of my book tour for a whole bunch of books that have come out. So I'm on the road a lot. I know you're on the road a lot helping me out promoting too. So we're all over the country right now. You can check out uh, our Facebook pages, uh, br- facebook.com, Brian Thomas S. And where's your page, Peter? Uh, Peter J. Wax or at Peter J. Wax right. on Twitter. Or PeterJWax.net, which... Right, also at Brian Thomas S. And we will be posting a list of the uh, tour dates. We'll also probably post them on our Genre Talk Facebook page, which is Genre Talk Podcast, Facebook.com, Genre Talk Podcast. Um, anyway, our guest. Absolutely. Look at us opening with, uh, with a I know, of which shameless we, we, self-promotion when we have such a cool guest who's is, a good friend of yours. And we totally normally would not on. do that on this show, except for that I can excuse it by saying <laughs> that Jonathan Mayberry is in several of those books, and we co-edited one together. So I'm helping promote him at the same time as I'm shamelessly promoting myself. So that's my excuse. There we go. And... And for our listeners, if you didn't read it on the download, our he guest is a New York Times Jonathan bestselling Mayberry. author and five-time Bram Stoker winning award winner. He is an anthology editor, a comic book writer, a magazine feature writer, a playwright, a content creator, a writing teacher, lecturer. He is a martial arts expert, a former bodyguard for people like Bruce Springsteen, Kansas, and more. He was named one of the, today's top ten horror writers, and his books have been sold more than two dozen countries. He writes in several genres. His young adult fiction includes Rotten Ruin, uh, and which was named in book list 10 best horror novels for young adults. It was an American Library Association top pick, a Bram Stoker, a Pittsburgh to Keystone, to Reading winner, and it also won several teen book awards in, in various states. Um, he is the, co- the author of the Joe Ledger series uh, of thrillers which are really fun and uh we have joe ledger unstoppable coming out on halloween which is a book we co-edited he's edited anthologies about the x-files he was a new york times bestseller his first best-selling book in fact was for his novelization of the wolfman he's done an, an alien anthology called alien bug hunt he also just did an anthology uh with romero that is called uh, the night of the living dead with george romero right before george died uh, knights of the living dead and we're going to talk about all that and more. His Behind Deep trilogy, his uh, his series of uh, Dead of Night and Fall of Night, which are the prequels to the Living Dead thing, proclaimed by Romero himself. So he has done a lot of stuff. Holy cow! So, so, so yeah, it, it sounds like if it's horror, if it's horror, he's done, if basically it's horrible, Jonathan's he's done. Oh wait, no, yeah, horror, horror. Anyway, that's right. We've <laughs> talked way longer than normal. Well, here. let's welcome let's Jonathan to the, the show. show. Jonathan Mayberry, welcome to Genre Talk. Happy to be here, Brian. 
Okay, well, let's start with the one of our favorite questions, and let's start with what do you what do you geek out over? What do you geek out over, Jonathan? Uh, well, I'm I'm kind of a professional pop culture nerd, so there's a lot of stuff I geek out over. I uh, uh, big fan of of Doctor Who, big fan of uh, uh, the whole Marvel universe stuff. Um, a lot of a lot of the people I, I kind of uh, really look forward to seeing are, are the comic creators. And uh, recently, I was at the Eisner Awards, a presenter at the Eisner Awards, and got to sit at the table with uh, Gail Simone, one of the you know, great comic book writers, and uh, Sergio Aragonez, who is the guy who did all those little uh, uh, pantomime things in the margins of Mad Magazine. And uh, met them, met some of the members of Jack Kirby's family, and you know, people like that really, uh, really, really make me excited to, to be in this profession and to be part of this world. You know, Jonathan, uh, my favorite, uh, uh, I, I have pictures of us in Houston where we staged like signing each other's books with the, the Doctor Who cosplayers who were kind of sneaking up on us. Remember the Dalek was like coming up with the exterminate. And... Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. That was a great con too. That was. Is that, that was... Pardon? Is that, is that Comic Palooza or Star City? No, that was, uh, that was Star City. Yeah, good one. So I've got to ask the obvious question then, since, of course, I'm also a huge Who fan. What do you think about Jodie Whittaker? Absolutely delighted that we're, going, we're getting her as, as the next Doctor. I am not in that crowd of, of misogynist males who think Doctor Who can't, can't, can't be female, because I really love what they did with the Master with Mitzi. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, yeah. And they established that, that Time Lords can, can be of either gender, any race, whatever. So why not? Yeah, yeah, that was canon uh, back in, in the time of, uh, what was it, the early 80s? Sylvester McCoy, when the Ronnie tried to escape yeah. by switching to a male. Yes, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think also uh, uh, Romana did that too. Oh, it, uh, may that, that, Romana. it may have been Romana. It's been a while. I'm, I'm out of date on that. Yeah, Ratra Lundor, I think, was, was her full Time Lord name. And, and she even took a male body at one point just, just kind of to mess with uh, Tom Baker's doctor. Ooh, that's right. One of the cool things for you, Jonathan, is that you've gotten to, although you haven't done Doctor Who, I think, but you have written a lot of the things that you would love, like you've gotten to do the Marvel things where the the, the Punisher and the Avengers and different things. And, uh, Black. and Black, which one? Black Panther. That was Black one Panther, of most, that's right. Yeah, that was one of the most important comics to me growing up. It's how I learned about... Uh, racial diversity and apartheid having grown up in a, in a household that was intensely racist. And, um, that, that character kind of saved me from being just like the people in, in my neighborhood and some of the ones in my family. So I have a, you know, a lot of history with that. So having had a chance to write Black Panther and having been able to play in the worlds that I am a huge fan of, of is a great honor. So, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of fun with that and writing something for Dr. Who is, is, is pretty likely. I had a nice conversation with uh, Stephen Moffat about doing a um, uh, one of the original audiobooks, the the Big Finish audiobooks for uh, uh, Doctor Who. So, yeah, it, it, I'll probably do something with that world too. You know, I kind very of cool. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's and he's done. It's, and you just did Aliens Bug Hunt, and you've gotten to play in. You did. You've done novelizations. You've done a couple of other things uh, as well, where you played in yeah. universes, X Files, and so on and so forth. So you're just a big fanboy, aren't you? 
I am. I am. I am a professional fanboy. And one of the, I guess, one of the real career highs for me was doing a project with George Romero. We did Knights of the Living Dead, an anthology of stories set in the 48 hours around his movie. He and I edited that together. Uh, he asked if he could write a short story for it and, and kind of requested that I write one that connects one of my novels, Dead of Night, to Night of the Living Dead, because as far as he's concerned, Dead of Night is, is his vote for the prequel to Night of the Living Dead. So that was an insanely huge honor. And uh, George became a good, a good friend. And unfortunately, the book came out just four days before he passed. Um, but it was his last completed project, and I got to work on, him, uh, on it with him. It's very cool, though, that he got to see that come out and that you guys got to do that. Because for a lot of fans, I know I've been seeing rave reviews of the book, and I have it here. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I, I will. Uh, you know, there was a whole lot of authors that were all fans that loved getting to write in that universe. You had Mira Grant, and you had a whole bunch of other people that I know of that got to write in it. And then, you know, it was the last thing George did, and it was in one of his most famous, the thing that kind of made his name. And he got yeah. to do it before he passed and do it with people who loved it. Yeah, it was an unusual bit of bit of closure because, you know, he wanted to to kind of rebrand himself as part of the, the Living Dead world when, unfortunately, so many younger fans think that um, Robert Kirkman invented zombies with Walking Dead or Max Brooks invented World War Z. And those guys, you know, they're both friends of mine. And they they, they agree with me that, that it's all George Romero's world. Um, but the fans don't necessarily all know that. So this book, it's kind of a reminder that you know, George is true, truly and forever the godfather of the living dead. And we need to do that from time to time. I do that a lot with my anthologies when I do when I do use reprints. I try to find at least one really good classic one that still holds up to kind of remind people what came before. Uh, I think it's it's it, it is a tendency nowadays to kind of as new generations of fans come in, kind of forget what came before sometimes or not always be as in touch with it as we as we could or should be. Right. And just like with, say, epic fantasy, uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm working with a uh, doing an epic fantasy anthology now. Some of the younger folks think that epic fantasy started either with Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. And, you know, they, they forget about, you know, Clark Ashton Smith and Lord Dunsany and Robert E. Howard. And, and you know, going way back, some of the people who kind of created that world. Um, and, and unfortunately, names like Carl Edward Wagner, one of the you know, who created the Kane character, is virtually forgotten now, and that, that's, that's a shame because they're great stories that are, you know, time is moving past them, and I think it's up to us who love the genres to remind people to look backward as well as forward. Absolutely. Well, one of the cool things that you've done recently is you've let fans of your work, this is a project actually that we worked on together, which was a privilege because I'm a fan, and we got to work with a whole bunch of fans of the Joe Ledger universe on Joe Ledger Unstoppable, which is an anthology that comes out Halloween about perfect timing. Exactly. Yeah. About, uh, it's basically stories set in the universe of, of Joe Ledger, right? Written by a whole bunch of, of other authors. Yeah. It's, it's fun because I, I'm one of those people who loves to play with, uh, share my toys. And I also love shared universes. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I, I like working in media tie-in where we get to play in other universes. Um, but it's, it's kind of fun for me to have a universe that, that I created um, that my friends want to come and, and, and hang out in and play. And everyone who, who wrote stories for me or for us, because you, know, you co-edited, 
uh, wrote stories for us, really brought their serious game. You know, Christopher uh, Golden, uh, David Farland, uh, Jeremy Robinson, Joe McKinney, Larry Correa, Scott Sigler, Steve Walton. I mean, these, these, these are heavyweights. And it's fun that they came in and, and just had fun playing with our toys. Yeah, I mean, I was I was thrilled with the stories that we got, and I think everybody kind of took a slight different approach to it, and and I, I just think the fans are going to really love it. I I, I hope so. Yeah, um, and one of the things that that really pleased me as I was reading the stories is nobody tried to write the way I write a Joe Ledger story. They wrote Joe Ledger stories the way they want to write a Joe Ledger story, and that's that's exactly as it should be. Uh, they, you know, it shows respect for the material, which is great, and respect for the audience. But it's their stories. You know, you guys, you know, uh, you and you and Claire wrote a story, and and um, you know, Chris Gold and Tim Levin com- uh, combined to write a story, and they brought new voices, which expands the world for me and allows me as the creator to also now be a fan of these stories. Do you find more inspiration and more? Uh... <laughs> I don't know, uh, depth when you get to see these expanded views of your world, does it, what does it feel like creatively when you get to see that? Well, one of the, the first things of, of, of that, that works for me with this is I get to see what things, what elements resonate with other people. You know, there are certain characters that, that I'm, a, I'm a fan of within my own work, the ones that I like writing about more than, say, others, um, or the ones that I have a, a more of a personal connection with than others. And then, but some other, some of the other writers come in and they take different characters. Like, uh, there's a story about Ghost, the dog. There's a story about Rudy Sanchez, the psychiatrist. There's a story about Joe Ledger as a teenager. You know, th- these these are different takes. They're they're they're, they're based on, on the ways in which different people connect with the elements that make up the Joe Ledger universe, and that pleases me because it, it would it would kind of be evidence of a poorly written series if there were only the same points that people connected to. But if it's well, it's a, go ahead. Okay. Well, I was, I was gonna say, gonna say. If, if, if it's if it's something where there's an open door for people to put their own uh, stamp on it, to, to have their own voice with it, that that just shows me that that the world itself is big enough and interesting enough to to allow. Absolutely. Well, the other thing it allowed was there's some crossovers with some really cool series characters from some of these other writers as well. Yeah, that's that's always a whole lot of fun. Um, to have, um, like Dana Fredstein uh, brought in her, uh, her character from her, uh, Plague World series. And that, that was a whole bunch of fun. And Jeremy Robinson, you know, did the same thing. Um, and, and a few of the others had that kind of fun as well, which invites their audience to come and play again in the same playground and invites my audience, the ones who may not know those writers to say, oh, wow, there's other cool stuff out there. Let me go take a look. Let me go read those other writers. Absolutely. One of the challenges of that was some of the world rules that we had to kind of bend or deal with or or find a way to, to make it make sense in context, because everybody had, has their different world building rules in their universe. So that was always an interesting challenge. But I think we I think we got it. Yeah, we did. And there are times when, you know, a story may may more or less be. Um, kind of an alternate universe version of the story, like like. The one with, with Dana, I, I, I mentioned because her world, you know, is, is a post-apocalyptic sort of world. So Joe being right. in the story isn't the same as Joe's normal storyline. 
But the thing is, I do the same thing. I have Joe appearing in a post-apocalyptic world of my own that may or may not be his actual future, which, again, allows there to be as many stories as we want to tell. Right. You know, for those new to Joe Ledger, we should mention that, you know, Jonathan has the Rotten Ruin series. And he's got the uh, the series that is uh, Pine Deep. And he's got another series of the Dead of Night books. And all of these, the Dead of Night books, which are the books that George, he mentioned earlier, George Romero said were basically the prequel to the Living Dead saga. And all of these are connected in the universe that, that, that Jonathan is writing in. All the characters could cross over. There's various history tied in and he's more and more exploring how those are tied together so it's kind of a broad expanse of of, of the possibility of a timeline that's unfolding through his various works yeah and this and by the way this is something that was recommended to me by stephen king the first time i had a conversation with him um he had said that one of the things he enjoys is having characters sometimes even minor supporting characters from one work just wander into another story even if it doesn't feel like it's part of the same timeline, because it's all the same weird universe in his head. And Michael Moorcock did the same thing with, with his Eternal Champion series, and, and there are a few others that, that do that. So I kind of decided to, to, to try the same thing, where you know characters start showing up in other, um, other series, even if it means that there's some head-scratching as to about how that fits into the chronology. It does... But I don't always explain how yet because I'm kind of discovering it as I go. And that's part of the fun of it, I think. Oh, yeah. It, it even keeps me guessing. I'm writing this stuff. But I do have a kind of a master plan, kind of like like in Marvel Universe. They have a they have a long range plan for what's going on. So do I. Um, I uh, and I like playing with. It. I like tweaking that model a little bit. Uh, and uh, some some of the the stuff that that we got in terms of stories for Unstoppable. I had to, you know, quietly talk to one a writer here and there and say, look, I, we can't do that because this is going to happen in the next book or a little further down the line. And, um, you know, how to share a little bit of the insight of what, what might be happening in the Joe Ledger series so that they remained in continuity, even if the readers wouldn't know why yet. Right. Exactly. Well, that was... And that was actually, you know, I think that's what happens with any kind of tie-in shared universe thing that you have. So it wasn't unusual. Most of these people have worked in that before, and I think they were they were ready for that. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we know the ground rules. Uh, virtually everyone except, well, I'm trying to think if there's anyone in that, in that group that hasn't worked in, in uh, media tie-in work before. I think everyone has. I'm not sure if Joe McKinney has. Um, and maybe maybe not John. Oh, actually, John McGoran and Joe McKinney have because they they wrote V War stories for me, for my V War series. Which again, there there were rules. So I think every single person there has had experience working in other universes, and that made it a an easy administrative thing for us as editors because we're working with, with real professionals who who get how the ground rules work. Sure. I think it's about time that we jump over to. Uh, the fan spotlight. Well, let's get her in here, Jonathan. This is this is cricket. You met her uh, at Conquest. Yeah, cricket, cricket is wonderful. Yeah, we had some, several panels together. Um, yes, we did. So I have some kind of more generic, open-ended questions. Hit me. I know, that, um, I know that you do a lot of research for your novels, especially the Joe Ledger novels. Mm -hmm. So in your research, this is. 
a two-pronged question. What is the scariest thing that you've learned from your research? And then what is the weirdest thing you've learned from your research? Okay, good. Uh, well, the scariest thing I learned is that most of the stuff that I come, cook up that I think is like really wacko, and then I you know, find an expert and run it by them and, and hope that they tell me how wacko it is, very often they're, they're like, oh, no, that, that's doable, or, or that's already happened, or that's, that's, that's going to be possible in five years. Um, one of the, the strangest, I think, was, well, probably the most directly alarming was when I was writing Predator 1. I, I talked to folks at General Atomics and at other places where they, they make drones and talk to them about GPS hacking on drones and you know, proposed an idea of, like, you know, how ridiculous would it be if somebody hacked the GPS and the flight controls of Air Force One? And they're like, uh, yeah, that's, that's actually something we're afraid of, um, pretty much afraid of now. And that's not the answer you want. You want the answer of, no, that can never happen. Um, so so it, when you get answers like that, it blurs the line between science and science fiction. Everything that happened in that book, the, the GPS hacking, the autonomous drive system hacking, and um, uh, the use of drones, everything that happened in that book is pretty much showing up in the headlines since. So that's, that's frightening. Uh, the other kind of scary thing is uh, when I was writing Dogs of War, I had cooked up the idea of a, uh, a weaponized version of, of rabies, kind of like you see in the movie Rack, you know, where, where it's a, a quick onset rabies. But one of the problems I, I had with, with Rack was that the delivery system required a bite uh, for it to spread or being splashed with blood. And that's not always the easiest thing. Um, the easiest way to spread a disease so that it spreads faster before people are aware that they've been infected would be through uh, a cough. So I asked a, a, an expert friend of mine if it's possible to create a weaponized version of pertussis, whooping cough, and use it as a delivery system for rabies. And, and he's like, yeah, here's how. And he gave me the, pretty much gave me the bones of how that could be done. And it's what I use in the book, though, of course, I don't give the actual explanation. But it's scary that something like that is possible. Luckily, no one is that, as far as we know, has actually done it. Now, to answer the second part of that, the, what's the weirdest thing? When I was doing Dragon Factory, I, um, uh, I I talked to a couple of molecular biologists and geneticists and said, "What's you know?" I asked. It's a question I asked them. What's the weirdest thing that goes on in your field right now? And I was told about um, these goats in Canada, these farms in Canada, that were given the gene from the orb weaver spider to produce spider silk. Now, in my mind, of course, I'm imagining goats crawling on the ceiling and spinning webs, and you know, but it wasn't quite like that. They actually have the gene, but what they do is they produce spider silk in quantity in their milk, and it's just you know harvested and, and used. But just the thought of giving the, the, the web gene, the, the, the spider silk gene, to goats scared the hell out of them. And, um, you know, I know that the, the goats are not, you know, now attacking humanity. It's still creepy. So I, I get stuff like that quite often, and it genuinely creeps me out, which is why I write the stuff I write, because I like to share the creepy stuff that, that unnerves me. Well, thank you. Um, I also know that from talking to you at the convention, you've done so many cool things. You've been a bodyguard and you've done martial arts. Is there anything, do you have like a bucket list of things you still want to do? And if you do, what's top on that list? Uh, let's see. Uh, believe it or not, I would like to learn how to scuba dive. 
I've, I've done snorkeling. I've done a lot of things like skydiving and other fun things, but I've never actually taken formal training in, in scuba diving. And I've never, and I want to learn how to fly either a plane or a helicopter or both. So they're, they're on my bucket list of things to do. Well, you live in the right place to learn how to do scuba diving, that's for sure. Oh, and in fact, I'm sitting here at my desk looking out at the Pacific as we're talking. Now, there's lots of room out there to go scuba diving, and there's lots of places to teach it. For me, it's a matter of just finding the time. I, yeah. I'm a moderately busy individual. And I know you started out by writing martial arts books, and then you started writing books about folklore, um, nonfiction books about folklore, the occult, and stuff like that. And then you wrote your first novel, Ghost Road Blues. What inspired you to go into the not into the fiction side well, of writing? When I was a kid, I, I had kind of gotten to know uh, Ray Bradbury and Richard Matheson, and um, that got mentored for, by them for a while. And um, among the things they told me is try any, try everything. You know, every time you find something in writing that you don't think you can do, try it. Find it out because you might wind up liking it. You might be good at it. So. Over the years, I've tried different things. I've, I've written greeting cards and plays and poetry and all sorts of stuff. Roll forward to um, the early 2000s. I had a four book deal with a small publisher, uh, small press publisher to do um, books. And we, the first three I, I had uh, done were martial arts books. And I, he expected me to do a fourth martial arts book, but I'd already done a bunch of those. And I'd had a lifelong interest in folklore and the supernatural, partly because of my grandmother, who really read a lot about it and knew a lot about uh, world folk folklore and, and the anthropology and science that goes with it. So I decided I was going to do a book on supernatural predators. Pitched the book to him. It was the only thing I'd ever published under a pen name because the publisher insist insisted because he was afraid my martial arts readers would think I'd gone crazy. Um, the book did really well. It got, uh, it got me kind of into the community of horror writers. Um, and the Horror Writers Association and so on. And um, I kept looking for fiction that used the folklore versions of vampires and werewolves. And most fiction used the Hollywood versions, which are really not the same thing. And they're, they're not even close. So after, you know, being frustrated and not finding the fiction, I just, you know, I decided to write a novel. Um, so I, I wrote Ghost Road Blues as an experiment, partly to, to, to write the book I would want to go read and partly to see if I enjoyed the process of writing fiction. And um, I was very fortunate in that, you know, the, even though it took a few years to write that book, the book sold, I got an agent quickly, the book sold quickly, and it won the Bram Stoker Award for Best First Novel. That validated my, the whole let's try fiction thing. And um, I kept going. Now fiction is what I love to do. and it's, it's my day job, and I absolutely love it. Awesome. Thanks, Cricket, for coming in and asking some questions. Yeah, good no, questions. No problem. It was it was a pleasure. I left work early, but I, just, I was really excited about coming in and doing the podcast with you guys. And I hope we do some more panels in the future. Yeah, I would love to. I'm getting awesome. Well, that's one of the things we talked about with this podcast is wanting to include the fans and what we're doing because we're basically all big fanboys, just like you, Jonathan, Peter, and I. And, and so we really just wanted to kind of geek out together over stuff. Yeah, um, I know. I'd be kind of suspicious of writers who aren't also fans, deep fans. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we should talk about is that uh, um, by the time this comes out, we'll have a Joe Ledger companion in the world. And that's yeah. something that Dana Fredsty put together with somebody, uh, another editor, right? 
Yeah. Um, it started with, with Mary Adkins, who cooked up the idea of a Joe Ledger companion. And she reached out to me, and I thought it was a great idea. Um, and uh, you know, a team was put together. It was, it's her and Dana Fredstein are the principal writers on it. And the contributors on it, uh, like there are people who wrote uh, sidebars about the technology and, and other aspects. They're all really hardcore fans. In fact, one of them, Thomas Raymond, even has a the, the Echo Team uh, emblem tattooed on his shoulder. That's that's real fan uh, appreciation. Yeah, seriously. And um, so they 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 did a book that that explores the, the the world of the Department of Military Sciences and you know Joe Ledger and uh, gives synopses of the novels and talks about the short stories and the extended universe that we mentioned earlier. Um, and it goes into the, the weapons and technology, the real stuff and, and the stuff that's made up for the books. Because sometimes people don't know which is which. Um, not everybody is an expert on, on, on firearms and, and uh, weapons of war. And there are some things in there that, that sound like they're probably real but aren't, like the Snelly gas, dun, uh, gas Dart pistol. I've had people complain they can't find them online. I'm like, well, there's a really good reason for that. Um, but all of that's in the book, and there's also a neat uh, series of, of uh, mini interviews where a historian is interviewing the various characters to talk about why they um, are, are in the Department of Military Sciences. So he interviews Joe and uh, Joe Ledger and his boss and his his team members and so on. There's a lot of great stuff there, and they did a fantastic job with the book. Comes out uh, later this month from um, uh, Journal Stone Publishing. So it's out for, out in August, mid-August, I believe. Yeah. Um, Awesome. And then and then you have a story out at, uh, in uh, Predator If It Bleeds. It came out on October 17th, uh, which I edited. And that was a lot of fun. You want to tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, that, that story speaks to a couple of my favorite things. And by the way, thanks for inviting me to write a story for that. Um, but Thank it's, you, it. you know, I love the Predator uh, world. I love the, the, the novels, the comics, the, the movies. So it's a fun character. But also, you know, as we mentioned earlier, I'm a martial arts guy. So I got a chance to write a, a full contact fighting scene between a, a top mixed martial arts guy and a young predator and uh, who doesn't have all his weapons with him. So it's a little bit more a little more of a fair fight, though. Not exactly a fair fight. And uh, I had a blast with that because I, I had to think through the um, uh, the what's called the combat philosophy or technical philosophy of, of the combat potential of a human at peak physical condition fighting an alien with their different physical anatomy and capabilities. And that kind of analysis is the sort of thing that, that you know, if you've been in martial arts, as long as I've been in martial arts for 53 years, it's the sort of thing that really challenges you and, and, and entertains you because you want to get the physics, the phys physiology and uh, the anatomy right to make the scene as realistic as possible. I had a great time writing that story. And it shows. Very cool. And it's the, it's closer to the book. There's uh, 16, 17 stories in the book, and it's very, that's the last one, but it's a, it's a really good bookend to the whole, uh, whole book. Peter had one in there as well that he co-wrote with David Boop and set in, in Katrina, Hurricane Katrina. So, yeah, we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, now I did, we're we're recording this before the books come out, so I haven't read all the other stories yet. I am so glad because again, I'm a fan. So this is this is me, the fanboy, who's like, yes, I have to read it for professional reasons. So I'll lay on the beach and read the book. This is me working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all research. That's what it is. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's a hardship, but you know, I'll 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 struggle through. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, also you have Glimpse that I know is coming out at some point. Is it coming out in the fall? No, Glimpse comes out in March, and it's it's a book okay. that the editor, my agents, and some producers I know we're all excited about. I'm pretty excited about it too. That has a weird history because there are elements of it that I created way back in the early 80s for a play that I wrote that was produced at Temple University as kind of an avant-garde um, experimental uh, theater pro project. And um, so some of those elements are in there. And, I, and I've written, I've kind of mentioned aspects of, it's called the fire zone. I've mentioned aspects of the fire zone in, in other stories. But then I, I, I had this idea um, for a standalone story. It was a, something that came out of a conversation I was having with my wife while we were driving to a book festival in, uh, in Arizona. And uh, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we trade a couple ideas back and forth and bang, suddenly the book is right there. The, the setup is a, a woman who's 26 years old. Um, at 16, she got pregnant by a guy on the only time they ever slept together, got pregnant. He went off to fight in Iraq next, you know, a, a couple days later and died. So when she had the baby, um, her mother made her give it up and depression, everything set in the guy, you know, she finds out the guy dies. So she goes into drug addiction. We pick up when she's 26, she's three years clean and she's trying to put her life together. And she's starting to get these flashes of images of a little boy about 10 years old, about the age her boy would be, who is in real trouble. And there's, there, there's somebody or something chasing him and it's, it's bad. Um, so she's trying to find, you know, follow these little glimpses she gets to find the kid. Now, this also spins into, into another project of mine. We talk about extended universes. I have a character named Monk Addison. He's a, a kind of a mystic slash private eye who uh, has a unique way of, of searching for uh, murderers. He's hired by the ghosts and he tattoos their, their faces on his body with, with um, ink that's mixed with the blood from the crime scene. And allows him to you know relive the, the deaths and get clues. So I folded him into the story as well. So there's a series of short stories out there with that character, and we're getting film interest in both the book and also in that character or film and TV interest. So there's a lot of enthusiasm for Glimpse, and and um, uh, it's going to be a hardback original out from St. Martin's Griffin, March 27th. I am very excited about it. Very cool. Well, I mean, I I can't wait to read it because I know you've gotten high praise from from our mutual editor at St. Martin's and other places, and I, I just can't wait to read it. Uh, but you've written, you know, it's a female protagonist too, which you've written before. You've written that in um, in a number of short stories. You wrote it in the in the Scully book you did for the Axe Files. You've done a number of things like that. But but it's an interesting departure for me in that the character is not a typically heroic character. Like even Dana Scully, we know she becomes a heroic character, you know, in the X-Files. Um, this is a character who, by all accounts, should be helpless. But people aren't necessarily as helpless as they, they can appear. Sometimes they don't know the strength they have until they're put in the position of, you know, fighting for someone they care about. And, you know, she regrets giving up this baby and now she's going to fight to to save him even if it's against supernatural creatures in glimpse there's a uh, character named monk addison so monk addison is a fun character he's he's appeared in the uh glimpse not he'll appear in the glimpse novel that's coming up but he's also been in a few short stories he's a private investigator with it with a mystical side what he does when a ghost 
comes to him when somebody's been murdered the ghost comes to him and and kind of hires him and he mixes some blood from the crime scene with tattoo ink and has their face tattooed on his body that process allows him to relive their murder and get clues to who killed them and go after them so he's a fun weird disturbing character and um he's right now we have some some pretty strong interest from producers for a monk addison uh project for, for TV, but also a glimpse project for TV. We're not sure yet whether it's going to be one project or two related projects. We're still in the very early stages of, of discussion about it, but everyone seems to really want to do something with glimpse and, and to do something with Monk Addison. And I'm, I'm pretty excited to see that happen too. Very cool. So, so I actually have a, a random just question. Uh, everybody's sure. process is a little bit different. Is there particular music that you listen to when you're writing, or do you just let the ocean serenade you? What? <laughs> it, it's going to vary. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll create pretty elaborate playlists, and if I'm starting a new novel project, I usually actually go on Facebook and say, "All right, this, I need a, a playlist that kind of hits this this mood or this emotional note," and then I'll build my playlist off of that. Um, my go-to playlist for when I I need the one that just helps me write all the time is a heavy rotation of Leonard Cohen, uh, Tom Waits, uh, Nick Cave, and um, uh, a little bit of, of old-fashioned blues and some improvisational jazz in kind of random mix. That usually works for me anytime I need a, a background. But also, I've, I've kind of become a slave to, to the Alexa thing, the Echo thing from, from Amazon. And they've got like 10 billion playlists, so I could I could basically tell it to give me a playlist of you know pigs playing harmonicas and there's probably a playlist of it. I just love to have music on when I'm writing. Um, I don't care if it has lyrics or not. I like music. I can write without it, but I prefer music going on in the in the background. So that's pretty awesome because uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Red Right Hand. I just uh, turn on a station based off of that on like Spotify or something. Anytime I'm doing short stories, so you just land yeah, really I close to my heart there. <laughs> I'm murder ballads guy for for Nick Cave. Uh, that that is such a disturbing album that I'm really a big fan of it. But if, my go-to guy is Tom Waits. Uh, I, I I've known him. Uh, I met him a few times over the years. Had had dinner with him at a diner, which is the absolute best place to have dinner with Tom Waits. Oh God! Yeah. And I love his, his poetry and his his older music. Just absolutely knocks me out. Uh, I've even named some of my my stories like my my most recent. Um, um, or my, my first short story collection was Whistling Past the Graveyard, which is named after one of his songs. And I have a short story called Altar Boy, again, named after one of his songs. So I've, there are references to Tom Waits in a lot of my stuff. Well, and Jonathan used to work security for people like Bruce Springsteen in Kansas and all these groups. So you've met quite a few rock stars in your day. Yeah, yeah, back back in the day. And uh, th th those were the, the sort of things you do when you're young and you think you'll heal from any kind of injury. And then you hit your uh, 50s and you find out that, you know, your your mouth's written a, a check your ass can't cash. So I'm feeling some <laughs> of those old, old injuries. Uh, the last thing I was going to ask you is about, you mentioned about Glimpse and the TV thing. And uh, and I know there's been talk about Joe Ledger. Is anything going on with Joe Ledger? Any new developments in that about maybe doing uh, a movie or something? Well, the Joe, Joe Ledger is definitely being discussed for television. Um, we have producers uh, who are... We've had some really creative discussions. In fact, I had a really good discussion with one of the producers at Comic-Con who came down from L.A. to to, uh, to have a meeting with me. I like where they're, they they want to go with it. 
Um, it is not yet at a studio, but we're in discussions with a studio. But we are talking TV more than, than film, and I think it would be better on television anyway. And we, you're seeing a lot more of action, you know, uh, like there's there's uh, Navy SEALs or SEAL Team, whatever it is, with David Boreanaz coming up, the Braves coming up. You know, there, there's that sort of thing seems to, to be in the public consciousness. I've got a few other projects that are that are in, in various uh, stages of development. Mars One, my my young adult space travel novel, is, is in development with... Uh, uh, Zucker Productions, and uh, we're they're hoping to take to turn that into a film. And uh, V Wars, which was my uh, vampire apocalypse series, uh, we are having really good discussions right now with, with with a major streaming service for that. And uh, I'm hoping that um, we we should have some sort of answer this week. So uh, the producer, producers are telling me that things are looking pretty good about that. So just fun, fun stuff happening. I'm still in the early stage of my Hollywood, the Hollywood phase of my career where things are in development. Uh, but it looks like we're going to cross over into production, which is the next step pretty soon. And so I'm, I'm knocking wood and sacrificing goats to the dark gods and all the things I need to do to make that happen. Well, I don't know, I don't know if I told you, but the, the, the guy who produced for Audible, the X-Files uh cold cases thing and i had a conversation and he uh i told him what i did work on with you on the x-files and he said well if this goes well we're hoping to dramatize possibly even more of the stories that have come out of idw so there's always a possibility he said that they could dramatize some of the anthology stories as well so you never know what's gonna happen yeah that that's that's definitely a possibility and and they're doing a great job with those uh productions i uh joe harris wrote the uh the first one and David, you know, the Covening and Jillian Anderson actually recorded it. So they did a fantastic. They brought the whole cast back. Yeah, they got, yeah, the, whole they got the whole cast back. So uh, fingers crossed. Very cool. Well, hey, we've run out of time. So I want to thank you for being with us today. And thanks for having me on. Uh, people can find me online at jonathanmayberry.com. It's M A B E R R Y. Or Facebook, Twitter, or any other social media platform, I'm all over the net. Questions or comments? Find a Genre Talk on Facebook at Genre Talk Podcast. Now, back to the show. All right, well, that was a lot of fun talking to Jonathan, as always. He's, he's been a really... He's been a great mentor to yeah, me and wow, a good what friend, an and we collaborated guy. quite a bit and hope to do some more, so... That's a real thrill. Yeah, it was uh, it was great to get to talk to him again. You know, it's been uh, oh gosh, a good two years since I've seen him since that uh, convention that we mentioned. Really? Uh, I, yeah, I ran into him a lot more than uh, you. I just saw him standing at Comic Con, but uh, uh, I should be seeing him again this year, later this year. Um, he is um, at jonathanmayberry.com for his website. He's Jonathan at Jonathan Mayberry at uh, Twitter. You can find him on Facebook very easily. Um, he's also, I think, got Instagram and a whole bunch of different stuff. He's got a whole bunch of... He, you can find him all over social media. Very friendly guy, very nice guy. Amazingly prolific guy. So be sure and check oh, out friendly. The Knights yes. of the Living Dead and Joe Ledger Unstoppable, which are two of his latest anthologies. And you also want to check out the uh, Joe Ledger series of novels. And he's a novel coming out in March called Glimpse which everybody is saying is the best thing he's ever written. So I look forward to that. I haven't even gotten to read that yet. I'm looking forward to Glimpse 2, and 
whatever the the future holds from Jonathan, it sounds like it's going to be really exciting. Like he was talking about some new projects on the way. Uh, anyway, thanks for uh, listening to Genre Talk this week. And well, next week our guest is that's Andy. All I got, Ryan. And or two weeks from now, actually. So anyway, we really look forward to that. You guys have a have a cup of coffee, some cocoa, whatever, and have a great day. Genre Talk was hosted by Brian Thomas Schmidt and Peter J. Wax. Mixed and edited by Randy Strew for a Flame of the Dark production. Theme music for Genre Talk was Your Guess Why by DJ Manifesto. Genre Talk is copyright 2017 to Peter J. Wax and Brian Thomas Schmidt.